All right, so thank you for listening. You're listening to the Anthro Alert podcast, where we take our live show from USF Bulls Radio, and we publish it here for you to listen at your enjoyment. Um, thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy it. Hey, Bulls. You're listening to Bulls Radio, 89.7 HD3 Tampa, 1620 AM on streaming worldwide at TuneIn.com and the TuneIn app. So this is the 3 o'clock hour of Anthro Alert. If you missed the 2 o'clock hour, well, you missed a great conversation, but that's okay because you will be able to listen to that episode on anthroalert.com at a future date. I don't know when that date will be, but stay tuned. It'll be on there. So this uh, this hour, we have another student. We have Emily, an MA uh, student here in the Department of Anthropology. She's actually in my cohort, and so we're going to talk about activism for this hour. But before we do that, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Let me tell you a little bit about what we do here on Anthro Alert if you haven't already listened to us before. So this show is about anthropology and simply why it matters. Each week we'll discuss anthropology, how it's relevant, and over time we feature various guests from the Department of Anthropology here at USF to discuss the research and have them weigh in on everyday topics and current events. We believe that this is a good opportunity for us as anthropologists, as students of anthropology, to better connect with the USF community and to raise awareness of the value of an anthropological perspective. Just like every week, we like to preface our show with the disclaimer that the statements we make here on Anthro Alert are our opinions um, and ours alone. They may not necessarily be representative of anthropology as a discipline, the USF Anthropology Department, USF or student government as an entity. So with all of that out of the way, we can we can move forward. Yeah, so welcome to the show. My name is Renee. And I'm Spencer. We have a guest host over here this week. Hi, I'm Bree. Yep. Uh, so thanks, Emily, for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Why don't you introduce yourself a little bit? Um, so like you said, I'm a student at USF in the Applied Anthropology Department. Um, I... My research focuses on uh, cultural anthropology, and specifically, um, I've been studying the activists in Tampa, uh, the racial justice activists, such as Black Lives Matter, or showing up for racial justice. Hmm. Great. So, um, yeah, let's just dive right in. Why don't you just tell us a little bit more about uh, your master's thesis and what you're doing? Um, so, mostly, I've just been hanging out with a lot of activists for a year, um, been going to events, being part of meetings. I've become a board member on one of the uh, organizations, the Restorative Justice Coalition. So I've gotten to learn a lot about what activists do and why, um, and basically a lot of the philosophies that guide them in their activism. So things like intersectionality is a big thing, and anti-capitalism is a big thing. Um, so yeah, and I've also talked to them about their experiences with police and how that motivates them to be an, a racial justice activist. Mm. So, so this is like real deep participant observation right mm. yeah um and so what is so what's an activist like wh how how do we define that yeah. well it's a good question so you know in anthropology we like having people self-define so if they say they're an activist then i get to interview them but it's a little more specific than that so if they do things to change society policy uh public minds um, and they see it as sort of against the status quo. So we're trying to change policies um, in police departments to have uh, body cams. And that's not something that um, the Tampa Police Department has a lot of and Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department doesn't have any. So 
that's sort of against the status quo, trying to advocate for things like that. Hmm. And so earlier you mentioned the term intersectionality. Can you back up a little bit and, and explain what you meant by that? Yeah, so that's something that's thrown around a lot. Um, it's a term that basically thinks about how people's identities can intersect each other and change the way that they are treated by others and treated in society and by public policy. So um, you can think about the experiences of someone who identifies as trans is a little bit different from someone who is cis. So that's uh, someone who is was gendered the same way that they see themselves. Hmm. Okay. All right. So, yeah, so cisgender is like they're gendered the way they uh, see themselves, and transgender is they, yeah, the so opposite. Yeah, so they were gendered a certain way at birth, and then they are rejecting that gender, so okay. they're changing it. So intersectionality is basically understanding that um, people have different experiences because of the way society might see them, hmm. and that we need to be aware of those experiences and see how um, we can put that into practice as part of like a community and a culture hmm. of validating, legitimizing, understanding how different people experience the world and seeing how we can help them based on what they tell us about their own lives. Yeah, that's an important perspective to have. Yeah. Hmm. And and so you're talking about intersectionality and you said, I think, capitalism as well. So um, how did those come about? Like what kind of questions were you formulating when you started um, to study this topic and study the... Um, do the participant observation with the people you're working with. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I actually didn't ask them about capitalism or intersectionality. Right. That was something that sort of came out, and I realized I should have been asking them in the first place, but it was a little too late. Um, so the questions I was asking them mostly started out with what is race and what is racism and how what is activism for racial justice? Um, and that sort of would always start off a conversation. And a lot of times people would just bring up these ideas about intersectionality and how it's really important to have this as part of a culture um, because it is often not part of public policy. Um, and they'll also talk a lot about how it's the elite that are represented in policy and in government and um, elite spaces like business. Mm. Um, and <laughs> uh, <laughs> I just lost my train of thought. Um but anyway, so they'd bring it up, and I sort of got from there. But a lot of my research uh, data came from my participant observations, so just hanging out with people, listening right. to what they say sort of in informal settings. Hmm. Okay. Cool. So out of curiosity, how, how did – I mean, we might be going ahead, and if not, we will, like, <laughs> like back up and then re-go back to the fro forward later. But um, <laughs> That was really clear what you just said. <laughs> Uh, how, like just because I'm just curious, how did some of your informants or participants kind of define race and racism? Mm -hmm. Well, they actually define it very similarly to the way that anthropologists talk about it. They say that there is no biological basis for race. They talk about cultural constructs, how race is made up by people, and is they say it's a way to um, demonize or oppress or legitimize the demonization and oppression of other people. So it's it's a it's a a power like a how someone exerts power by ra racializing. And so, how did you? Um, you know, I guess you know this is kind of, this is like a really relevant topic today, but also kind of like a sensitive topic as well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so how did you go about forming a relationship with these groups? You know, how did you reach out and then you know start to build rapport and stuff to where you could 
start participating in their events and kind of hanging around and having informal conversations. Yeah, that's definitely something I was worried about um, because it's – you have to be sort of in or else you're regarded as slightly suspicious. Um, So as a white person going into these racial justice activist spaces, I typically try to just be there and observe and talk to people one-on-one. Um, I first started going to an event the fall of 2017, no, 2016. Um, I went to a Black Lives Matter protest and um, saw a lot of what people were doing. At that point, I wasn't a researcher. I was just an activist. And um, from then, uh, the next semester, I was in a visual anthropology class and we had to make a documentary about um, something of our choosing. And so we made like a 10-minute documentary and my my group decided to try to document the racial justice movement in Tampa. So we talked to um, people that we knew were in charge. And I don't know how this happened. It must have been like luck or something. But we were able to make relationships with them, um, just like going to events. Uh, we went to showing up for racial justice events and talked to people there. And we told them we wanted to make a video. And that's basically how I first got to know these people. Wow. So... In in this research, and um, since you've started like reflecting back on then, um, how has your research changed the way you personally view like activism and social movements and whatnot? Um, so going into it, I always thought of race or of racial justice activism as protesting, but it is so much more than that. A lot of it is lobbying or planning about what to do. Um, there's I've learned new phrases. So there's something called bird dogging. Which that's it, like an exercise, just, <laughs> just so we know. We're, yeah, talk, yeah. we're now talking about exercise. Yeah, so you know, you squat, tummy drag, push. No, um, it's it's this thing where you. I have like a funny quote, but I don't. I can't quote it exactly. But my in, person I was interviewing was saying it's when you go up to uh, your target, the politician, and surprise them with a question that you know they can't answer, and maybe it's recorded. Maybe it's maybe they can't answer, and that's great. Um, so that's one thing I learned. That's there's just so many different ways to be right. an activist. Mm. Yeah. And I think it's also kind of like how activism is portrayed in the media, right? So it's always viewed as like violent protests or something. Yeah. Whereas like activism can be organized and, and structured and, and done in other ways. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's really very uh, thoughtful and intentional that the way, the yeah. way that they do it. Like I went to a town hall meeting and um, sitting outside of them, you would think that, um, when these activists start shouting in the back of the room, they just, they're angry and they just got angry and decided to shout. But it was actually something that they planned. Mm. So they'd be like, all right, time to do disruption. Who's going to do it? Okay, what are you going to say? Okay. And then they would just do it. And hmm. the purpose was to get kicked out and then protest outside. Oh, interesting. So even like these sort of like raging protests are, are planned. That's, yeah. that's really interesting. So there's like calculated maneuvers. Mm-hmm. And it it also is based on, like, what's happening at that context. So yeah. in this uh, instance, we were doing public comments, speaking at a Plant City meeting about um, a man who was killed by the police. And um, they reduced the speaking time from three minutes to 60 seconds or something. So because of that, they changed the strategy to disrupting the meeting. Yeah, be, I mean, at that point, I mean, once they changed the time, it's like they, they – They've already decided that you know we're, we're not going to try and we're not going to listen to anybody. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, it, so the, it, it, it may sound like oh the activists are switched the strategy to disrupt the meeting, but really it's like a response to the 
the organizers of the meeting already disrupting it by changing the terms of interaction. Yeah, because it wasn't expected that they would yeah. not let the, them have that time. You write your comment out based on how much time you think you're going to have, and then yeah. you're rushing through it, and the timer's beeping because they have a timer up there. Yeah. So they're, like, shutting down the conversation before it even happens, essentially. Yeah, yeah and they never actually commented hmm. on what we said. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think it's about time for... Uh, Maybe a, a short music break. Yeah, I think we, we have some time there. So uh, we're going to take a short music break. And then when we come back, we're going to you know dive back into activism and, and racial justice. All right. You are listening to Bulls Radio, WUSF 89.7 HD3 Tampa, 1620 AM on campus and streaming worldwide at TuneIn.com and on the TuneIn app. You are listening to the 3 o'clock hour of Anthro Alert. Um, we are talking to Emily, a master's student in the Department of Anthropology about her research on activism. So, um, Emily, if you want to start by um, talking a little bit about this, and I think you might have said this probably a little bit in the first segment that we did, but do you consider yourself an activist? Yeah. Yeah, I actually started as an activist. Um, this project, my, my master's project, wasn't supposed to be about activism. It was actually supposed to be about race and policing um but the more i got involved my project sort of morphed into the uh to be like about activism so it's interesting dual role activist researcher yeah so what what got you interested in in kind of studying activists i know you said it, it emerged organically but you know what got you interested in in activism and being an activist just in general well i think it's part of it is uh our a lot of the American policy, culture, society makes me really angry, and I'm passionate <laughs> about changing that. So, mm. being a part of the active, like av- of the movement, whatever the movement quotes, um, <laughs> and uh, studying it, I think is really relevant. So, if we talk about it, learn about it, we can talk about it with other people who maybe don't know how to be activists. And so, I feel like um, being a part of that has helped me grow, and also hopefully helps the world yeah activism can help the world yes you gotta you very gotta, relevant right now yeah i mean somebody's got to actively try to change things right yeah. so yeah you know, somebody's got to do it and there's so many only so many like avenues right so like right. this is definitely a main one especially literally this week that we're seeing so many things happening yeah. with mm-hmm. activism and young people and yeah it's inspiring yeah what they were doing but yeah. it's also very difficult right like i imagine because it can be very frustrating when change doesn't happen immediately and change often happens very slowly and you know you, you have to have a lot of perseverance and you know i've heard of activists like kind of burning out you mm-hmm. know when you feel like you're hitting a wall and so i i feel like it can be very challenging well yeah. what well, yeah. for sh- for sure one of the things that i mean from my perspective I'm, you know, again opinions are my own right right um <laughs> The, b- part of one of the things that makes it like frustrating is not only that it can be slow moving, but that that oftentimes it's very there's zero transparency, and mm-hmm. uh, um, a lot of what's said publicly there's just there's taken out of context. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's just so fr- it's just very frustrating. Yeah, um, especially looking at um, you know sale of firearms and assault weapons here in Florida. I mean, if you if you look at what the Florida legislature did here recently this week. Um, yeah, it's like it's hard to really rationalize how how that stuff happens. And I, I know a lot of it is partisan, but I, I don't know. It, 
it's just hard for me to like I can I don't know someone someone help me out here and just are you facing some in. emotional burnout there yeah, Renee? yeah I think so well, did, that, did, you need like, a nap. did you encounter <laughs> that at all uh, personally yes uh, and also a lot of from my inform or I don't want to call them informants interview mm. cultural interlocutors people yeah Re- um, research partner collaborate yes, collaborators research partner collaborators yeah yeah so um something interesting like talking to like there's this one woman i talked to and she says that she doesn't feel that she can go out and do a lot of the activist stuff like lobbying or being at protests or something but she sees her role as being the person who uh who's there when people come back so she's there to support the activists and she does this through art and she talks about spiritual healing and um she does like stuff like tarot card readings and um I, another one does Reiki, which is a sort of like healing thing. It's, it's like energy healing yeah. with, yeah. with yeah. the chakras. Yeah. Yep. And there's another thing that she told me about, which she doesn't do this, but it's called rage baking. So you get angry. The world is too much. So you make a lot of baked goods and then invite all your friends over. That, that's what I do when I bake bread. Yeah. <laughs> Stress baking. Yeah. Sounds like a really productive way to like get yeah. your anger out. Yeah, that, and it, it's seen as activism. Yeah, that dough that. is not going to knead itself. Yeah. <laughs> It's going to have really thin dough. Yeah. <laughs> really just getting in there. <laughs> you got to get all your anger out about it. Yeah. So, I mean, that well, that brings up interesting points of, like, there's different ways to be an activist, right? And mm-hmm, so, like, yeah. how do you define – well, how do you define activism and then how do you define yourself as an activist? Kind of yeah. yeah. I don't know. Like, uh, someone I interviewed, she said that she didn't see herself as an activist because she felt that she didn't do enough. But um, she is, uh, like, a – she has a position in an organization. She goes to events. She talks about this a lot. So I think everyone else sees her an act- as an activist, and she has a little bit of that like imposter syndrome where she thinks that she isn't doing as much mm-hmm. as everyone else. Mm-hmm. But then there's other people who are activists, and they're not part of any groups, but they um, do stuff online where they'll uh, be part of Facebook groups and engage in discussions and about like capitalism and politics and history and yeah. Uh, like teaching people through that way is seen as activism and even learning yourself like lear- teaching yourself stuff is yeah. also seen as activism so it mm-hmm. just varies based on what people think and I, I was wondering that a little bit as you're talking what role social media plays in activism at least for your research or mm-hmm. what you've seen like how how that kind of comes into the, the question or does it not at least yeah. in what you're doing no it definitely does there's a lot uh based on social media i don't think it would be as there wouldn't be as much momentum if social media wasn't there to kind of push it along, let right. people know about it. So there are Facebook pages for all these groups. Like there are, as far as I'm aware, at least 20 groups that are racial justice activists or have some sort of um, focus on racial justice. Mm-hmm. And they all have Facebook pages. They post their events. Uh, a lot of groups will partner together, um, share petitions online. They'll boost them. So they'll pay for the ad. Right. Um, and I think that does a lot to for the events to get people to come out and then Another thing is just like sharing articles or opinion pieces and teaching people. So I think it's another way to to teach people as an act of activism. Because like you know, you guys probably learned something new by an article someone posted on Facebook, right? Oh yeah. I don't yeah. get on my Facebook, so. <laughs> <laughs> that that's that's not a thing anymore. Yeah. Not getting on your Facebook. I, I don't no, get no, on my that, Facebook. That's like a thing. Anymore. Oh. The Facebook is not a thing anymore. Oh, okay, yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. Is this why you don't come out to any of these events? Because I don't know about them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I'm, 
Facebook. I have mixed, <laughs> I have mixed feelings about Facebook. But. One, of, uh, one of the people I interviewed, she got a Facebook solely to do activism. Yeah. Yeah, that makes well, sense. Well, it is, yeah, it is yeah. a good way to stay involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like, I, I, p- many people use it for many different reasons, I guess, is yeah. the the bottom line. Typically, yeah. that's what I use Twitter for, right? To, like, connect with different yeah. groups and then try to do stuff from there. But. Yeah. yeah. My grandpa uses Facebook to yell at people. Oh, oh wonderful. <laughs> About what? Just whatever. Yeah. <laughs> really anything. <laughs> I feel like everybody has that one family member that oh, just yeah. like rants on Facebook or yeah. yells at people. It's yeah. like every four minutes they're like, guess what? And you're like, no. Yeah. That's yeah. my uncle. Yeah, he'll, he'll, yeah. Make, he'll, he'll make a complaint about the produce he bought at the grocery store. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. But he'll like, he'll write on their page and tell them, this is, you have bad bananas. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I love that. That's um, some activism right there. Oh, yeah. There you go. <laughs> Well, oh. can I talk about a little bit something else about social yeah. media? Oh, activism? absolutely. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So something that I didn't realize was that activists are really concerned about um, their own privacy. So, oh, interesting. Okay. Yes, yeah, so you'll see a lot of activists. They'll be prominent, and then a lot of them, um, they're concerned that the government is keeping tabs on them. Yeah. Uh, a couple I know say that they have been followed by police because they're activists, um, or they're worried about people like white supremacists finding them online so there's this i don't know you guys know what doxing is yeah yeah, yeah. Well, i mean well, just tell yeah, us yeah i do not yeah. know what that is <laughs> so it's when someone uh gets your information like your phone number or your address and they put it on the internet or they give it to someone or mm-hmm. a group of people and say go bother this person call them uh go hurt them or whatever. And so this has happened to a lot of people that I've come in contact with. Their information has been given to hate groups, and then they're targeted by these groups. Um, and so they worry that uh, having a social media presence can harm them, either from uh, they're worried the police are going to try to pin something on them, or they're worried that they're going to get hurt by these white supremacists. So the, a lot of them will change their names on Facebook. So it's not actually them. It's It's mm. them, but... Different name. Different name. A pseudonym. Yeah. <laughs> or, a, or a pen name. Pen name. <laughs> Facebook yeah. pen name. What, so, okay. So, like, regarding privacy online and how they try to keep that, uh, do they share other other than using, like, different names? I mean, other technologies or other things to try and keep their identities secret? Yeah. Uh, like, VPN stuff. They'll use that on their phones. So, yeah. mm-hmm. so what, what's a VPN? Uh, yeah, I don't actually know how to just explain that, but I know it, it blocks your... Uh, oh, I can explain it. Oh, you can? <laughs> okay, go for it. I was going to give you the chance. I have no idea. So VPN stands for Virtual Private Network, and basically it just creates a tunnel from your device to um, wherever the end of your tunnel is. Yeah. So like a VPN provider will um, say, okay, so you use our VPN service, so basically you have this secure encrypted tunnel from your device for example, your phone to our servers and um and then we we do the the data thing that you need us to do so it's basically instead of just having the direct you're going through the vpn but it's um it remains encrypted and uh, anonymous so that yeah. it's very difficult for someone to um be snooping on you in that way yeah, they also do this thing. Uh, well, they'll they'll use in, uh, messaging apps that use encryption. So, Signal is one. That's my favorite. It's the one I use. Yeah, yeah. So, um, no one can kind of, I guess, hack in and see what they're saying or who's saying it. Hmm. And 
Yeah. This is the kind of stuff that makes me terrified of technology. Yep. Like, yeah. for real. You yeah. know, it's like, it's made me question even, like, you know, I don't use social media for activism. Mainly, I just use it for, like, dumb reasons. But, like... <laughs> Like yelling at friend? the store about the bananas. Yeah, but it but it's still it's like how much privacy do you actually have even with mm-hmm. like the settings and stuff and like how is social None. media data used and like uh, I don't know I just don't like it like it it, yeah. it really freaks me out sometimes like what what people can do with data and how they collect it and like you have no idea basically. Yeah, you'll, like, say something, oh, I need a new T-shirt, and then you go on Facebook, and there's an ad for a T-shirt. Yeah, right. Or like, <laughs> That's you know, how I ended up with the T-shirt I have now. <laughs> like, Google searches and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's interesting. Someone actually told me that um, – I've never seen this happen, but they would lock their phones in a different room when they were having meetings so no one could hear them through their phones. Yeah, that's that's a real deal. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. That's wow. scary. All right. <laughs> Sorry. Let's just turn into a conspiracy so, theory yeah, radio show. Yeah, it really did. We're really uh really getting deep today. But you know, like as as students, you know, collecting our field work, oftentimes we're kind of balancing like different roles. You know, we're like students, we're researchers and you know, and whatever. But in this case you're also kind of balancing the fact that you're also an activist. You know, so how did you how did you deal with that? Or, like, how did that come into play while you were doing your research? Well, before you answer that, um, for those listeners who are interested in learning more about online privacy and whatnot, <laughs> they can probably probably look for the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Uh, there's a website where they can learn about just online privacy and different apps to protect themselves online. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so you can take that tangent further on your own and um, – and so now, now we're going to give Emily a chance to answer that question. Yeah, yeah. So to answer your question about uh, the the my dual role of researcher and activist, it's actually was very confusing, and it has become more confusing as I have been more uh, encultured. Is that the right term in the activist community? Um, so before I was just like trying to get in there, trying to be uh, build rapport, meet people. Right. Um, and I obviously I really cared about the issues, but I didn't understand them as well. And now that I have um, started to understand them the way the activists understand them, I think in a way it can be helpful for my research, but it can also hinder me where I'm assuming that all oh, these other activists think the same way I do. Or um, it doesn't give me that outsider perspective to analyze it as well. So it's something that I'm definitely like working on and I haven't quite figured out how to make that balance as well. Yeah. Um, like, yeah. I don't know, like in your mind, you're like, okay, I'm a researcher now or like, okay, like I'm an, I'm an activist now. I did that. Yeah. When I was still collecting data, like when I was still doing the interviews and still doing participant observation, you know, I was just like taking notes all the time. Um, I was like, okay, I need to write down like how many people are here, uh, where do they sit? What's their, um, body language? What are they saying? Uh, stuff like that. And when I decided I was, I had enough data, but I was still doing the activist stuff. I was like automatically like. All right, I'm just an activist. I started paying less attention. So the good yeah. and the bad. Mm-hmm. Right. How, like how long were you in the field? Like how long did you sort of go about generating field notes and stuff? Um, I'd say from August to December of 2017. Yeah. So, so pretty f- fairly months. recently. Yeah. 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 
And and as your participants see you like continually being involved in the activism and stuff like that, do you think they like kind of see that as like they appreciate that or like you know that you're not just there to take notes and leave? Mm-hmm. You know, like you become part of the community. Like, yeah, yeah, I think that is actually for this sort of research i think that probably is a requirement they would not have trusted me if they thought that i didn't agree with them or if they thought that i was going to go tell a police officer what they said or um if i wasn't going to be there and help right so Mm -hmm. i'm supposed to be like an ally and listen to what they have to say and then listen to what they say the best course of action is and try to do it yeah so i it's definitely helped uh build relationships and it's also obviously something that i wanted to do anyways um Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did did you get any pushback or like was there any any individuals that were like initially suspicious of you or like why you were there and stuff when you were kind of formulating relationships with the community? I think a little bit. My first interview, someone I didn't know that well. Um, she knew someone I'm friend I was friends with, but uh, she was like, you know, it's kind of weird, like asking me about my tactics, because I was asking like, what do you do as an activist? And then there was someone else who. Um, I posted, like, a call for interviewees on a Facebook page, and everyone who responded was white. And then this one person who, like, a friend tagged him in, he, like, identifies as a trans activist of color. And he was like, have you, like, talked to any black and brown people? Because this is about racial justice, so you need to be talking to people who are black and brown. And I was like, okay, like, (laughs) I'm sorry. I mean, I didn't actually interview any of those people. I asked him, but he uh, he didn't want to, or he didn't really respond. Met him a few days later. Hmm. Interesting. So, yeah. like, how did that conversation go? <laughs> um, I sent him all this information that I'd been, like, what I was doing. I sent mm-hmm. him, like, an email. Yeah. And I was like, I'd really love to interview you. Because uh, I really did. I'd seen him at a lot of events. And I knew that he was an activist and all the other people in the comments I'd never seen before. So I decided not to interview them. But um, I saw him the next day, and he was friendly to me. I talked to him for, like, five hours. So, Yeah. So, like, as you got to know people, sort of those perceptions, I guess, kind of dissipated as people, like, were more clear about your motivations and stuff? Yeah. It also helped, I think, that um, two activists in the community who are well-known and who are, like, respected but for the most part um, helped me get it started. So they're the people that I collaborated with on that video Mm. Um, and so I could say like, oh, such and such a person said that you would be a good person to talk to, or, um, this person helped me get it off the ground Mm. and supports my research. So that made it a little bit easier. Right. So having the support of like the gatekeeper, so to speak, you know, like someone in the community to kind of like vouch for you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think we're going to, uh, take another, uh, short music break. Then when we come back, we will um, continue to talk about activism and and racial justice and, um, you know, kind of wrap up, summarize a little bit. And then, you know, we'll probably be about done with the show at that point. But, um, yeah, we're going to just clarify some things. So stay tuned. All right. Welcome back. You are listening to Anthro Alert on Bulls Radio, WUSF 89.7 HD3 Tampa, 1620 AM on campus and streaming worldwide at TuneIn.com and on the TuneIn app. Uh, We're talking to Emily here. She's a MA student in the anthropology department at USF. Um, And as we come back from the break, you mentioned there's some stuff you're interested in talking about. So I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about what you were saying before we went to break or when we were in break. 
Yeah. Um, so a part of my thesis that I haven't gotten too far into, but that I'm I'm working on is talking about why activists are motivated to do this. And I think a lot of it, um, based on the interviews that I've had, has to do with people's experiences with the criminal justice system or mm-hmm. their indirect experiences with it, like what their friends have told them, what they've seen on TV, um, maybe something that their family uh, has experienced. So I, I've been told a lot of, like, really... Um, terrible stories I guess Mm -hmm. uh, that people have had these experiences with police Um, so for instance um, one woman told me that her dad was living homeless when she was I think sometime in the 90s um, and uh, he was killed by a police officer because he was holding a cement block and apparently supposedly he threw the cement block at the police officer Um, and this woman was telling me that the officer didn't get in trouble and she looked him up on facebook recently and he's like a a gun dealer or something um and apparently the officer had had disciplinary problems before and then he, they just moved into a different place and they um didn't ask the witnesses he was technically the only witness that they talked to so it was all based on what the police officer said and um she doubts the validity of the story because she said how does a someone pick up a cinder block and throw it this is supposedly what happened why he was shot by a police officer so she doesn't believe that and she doesn't believe um like her her dad did have i think schizophrenia or something like that um but she just completely doubts the reality of this and thinks that it's based on race so she's she's a black woman and her dad Mm -hmm. was also a black man um so it's it's really distressing but the people have told me who've had these bad experiences they've um been mostly just black people um who i've interviewed um some other ones was someone was uh she was coming out of a nightclub in ebor um after Mm -hmm. she'd gotten back from her i think she was she was overseas in the military she gotten back out with her friends they were leaving the club and there were police officers all around and um the police officers tried to told everyone to leave she was waiting for her friend and because she didn't leave the officer like blew a whistle in her ear and she turned around and, like, I don't know, told him to stop or something. And he ended up, like, slamming her on the ground and did the same thing to her friend. Um, and she was saying, like, this is very clear to me or, that my country doesn't care about me, that I come back from serving my country and they still treat me like S-word. Um, so stuff like that. And mm-hmm. <laughs> um, another woman, she says that she does this for the black men in her family because um, they have been uh, unfairly treated by the criminal justice system. You know, the stand your ground law, how that's a big thing in Florida. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sorry, what's that? Stand your ground law. Yeah, I don't know what that is. Oh, Um, that's basically saying that if someone threatens you or your property, um, you you have the ability legally to shoot them or kill them. Oh. So, yeah, okay. so in this one case oh. that I was told, this woman, her dad was being um, followed and threatened by someone who was, I think, she said that he was a KKK member. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he was stopped, um, but they he stopped him while they were driving, got out. I think he had a gun and was, like, pointing it at her dad. And her dad also had a gun and had a permit for a gun and ended up shooting this guy somewhere non-lethal he he ended up being fine yeah um but her dad was put in prison for like three years or something 
because well. he used a law that most people get away with using. Um, so it's it's the same law essentially, but diff- different person, different, different races. Yeah, yeah different circumstances. So that's uh, I mean that's the same defense that um, Zimmerman yeah exactly used oh, okay. in the uh, the, the killing of Trayvon Martin, and he got away yeah. with it. Yeah. And then her dad, who didn't kill anyone, did not get away with it, um, and who was actually being threatened. Um, so anyways, so also she had a cousin who was killed in prison, and she doesn't know what happened. There was yeah. apparently no investigation. So a lot of these things, like I could go on and on, and and I won't, don't worry. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I'm writing about how these are motivating factors, why people do these things, and then they, or why people decide to be activists. They see this happening. Someone was just killed last week by a police officer. He was having a PTSD episode. Black guy, veteran, and he was yeah. shot in the head. Um, and so all these things keep happening and so they see it as like maybe a way to right the wrongs of the past yeah Mm. wow so i'm wondering too with your research um have you done any research or um, any interviews with members of the police um locally or would that kind of go against your participants like how do you see that or negotiate that or is it more of like that's not the focus of this project so i wouldn't like do research with them yeah um so part of it, I initially wanted to interview police officers, right. but I wasn't able to get a letter of support from them. So okay. through the IRB ethics, I w- I'm not allowed to interview them. Okay. Um, I also, at this point, it feels weird if I were yeah. to interview police officers. So as a researcher, like I should be able to interview anyone. On some level, it feels sort of like a traitor thing. Yeah, because so. uh, because of the way your participants view it. And yeah. I, yeah. And I've started to view things the way they have, too. Yeah. So um, a lot of them have said, there's no such thing as a good police officer. Or mm-hmm. bad apple, it's a bad institution. So, okay. yeah, right. yeah. So it, that would be that would feel weird. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I'm I'm assuming that these the activist communities that you're participating in really don't have any other kind of contact with with the police as far as like trying to organize things or maybe trying to like change the community or anything do they do they regularly or i guess not regularly but do they have any other contact with like the police department to try to maybe have like a sit down and kind of talk like talk about things and you know voice concerns and questions yeah yeah so um they'll they often call police departments and tell them can you please release this uh um, report or do you guys have implicit bias training? Can you tell us about that? We suggest that you improve it. They'll send them this like huge packet of information about how to improve their police departments. Um, yeah. f- like last week, we ended up going to one of the Tampa Police Department buildings and standing in front of them and talking to them about that guy that was killed by one of their officers and saying, why did, why did this happen? Do you have training in place for mental health crises? Um, so there actually is quite a bit of dialogue between the police. And there's always police at protests, so... There's interactions that happen then that sometimes it can be a little volatile. Um, police telling people to do things, people not doing the things they're told to do, mm-hmm. back and forth. So how do how do the departments receive sort of these packets of like training or questions about the like the competence of their like training? Um, last week when we were talking to them face to face, they mostly just listened and told us like oh we have we do get trained i think they get like a few hours of training about 
implicit bias or cultural competency or something. Um, and then the activists will say, that's not enough. And then they'll say, well, we can't do anything about it. And then it's like back and forth. But mm-hmm. um, I think mostly they just don't really pay that much attention to them. Um, so a lot of that, it would be more productive if there's more people behind it. So if public, if the public is saying, we want this, and there's a lot of pressure, so they'll try to get people to call offices a lot or call county commissioners or city council members to try to get more people aware. Mm-hmm. And then there's also, like, I think there's going to be a meeting with one of the sheriffs next week. So there's a lot of communicating, but I don't know how how well the police officers receive it. Right. Yeah, that's a... Uh yeah, I don't know. That's it's complicated, I guess. Because, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's like inherently kind of a tense sort of relationship, yeah. right? Um, historically, too. Yeah, historically as well. Like, you There's know, activists want change, but like the departments may not necessarily take, you know, criticism to their training very well. So it's like a really delicate sort of balance to to maintain there. Yeah, there's been a lot of criticism of police departments lately, the past, like, 10 years or something. Right, All yeah. these videos, there's, a, the like, the Department of Justice did a study on the Baltimore Police Department, found them, that they have a very uh, bad race, race problem that hasn't been addressed since then. So, I think they feel a lot of this pressure and um, aren't that enthused to hear more of it. Yeah. yeah. So, we've talked about a lot here in the last almost hour Mm. so is there anything that you like would like to bring up or mention or like anything that you missed or or we missed or you know like anything that's kind of stuck with you Um, throughout this i don't know uh i guess if we want to talk more about like the anthropology research side of it yeah Yeah, actually i thought of a question earlier so um i guess what other what other kind of like theories did you base some of your questions off of we can we can talk about theory for those anthro fans yeah (laughs) um so i was mostly combining critical race theory and uh Mm -hmm. black feminist thought which um i think go together really well and also goes together really well with the activists and the way they think of things can you break those down a little bit like critical race theory for people that don't know yeah so that is basically the perspective of looking at everything um with an understanding of how race impacts what has been done and how what has been done will impact people of different races. Um, And uh, kind of accepting that um, race is something that has been normalized, but also is a cultural construct that changes based on context. So, um, you know, you might be seen as white one day, but then you go somewhere else and you're seen as, I don't know, a black person or something. Like, it, mm. it changes. Mm-hmm. Just like other uh, identities, they change based on context, time, era. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is just sort of a reminder of um, understanding how race works in the world. Mm-hmm. Right. And then black feminist thought is kind of based on what? It's pretty, it's, it has a lot in common. Um, sort of just like self-explanatory, I guess. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. So definitely feminist, you know, <laughs> right, right, <laughs> with right. an eye on race. So sure. a lot of um, what I've studied with these with racial justice activism is how it's so tied up in a lot of different activism. So sex, sexism, uh, homophobia, uh, transphobia, mm-hmm. um, discrimination against Muslims, all these things are things that these activists are trying to work on. So mm-hmm. I think those um, theories really tie everything together. So are, are the groups that you're working with, are they 
have all these ideas in mind, or are they kind of just working specifically on, like, more local issues, I guess? Because um, you, you said, like, in activism, that you know, people are looking at, like, sexism and homophobia, mm-hmm. all this kind of thing. So, like, but the communities that you worked with specifically, they're looking at more, like, racial issues, correct? Well, I think that the main focus is race, but they try to keep um, in mind everything that happens uh, like all the suggestions they make or the lobbying they do, mm-hmm. they keep in mind, um, like gender, for instance, how this law that they are thinking about might impact um, a trans person mm. or might impact a woman. So if like they're suggesting something different in prisons or things like that, that they always keep in mind that um, there are these other isms that we have to think about and take care of and work on. Right. Yeah. Sure. I think that's all the time we have for the show this week. Um, thank you for coming on, Emily, and volunteering yeah. your time. It's been fun. We enjoyed having you here. Um, enjoyed the conversation. Really important issue, and so we're glad that we got it on the show. Um, actually, we had two very important issues um, today for our two-hour time slot. So some real difficult questions to deal with, but very important ones to think about, to keep in mind, um, you know, to at least guide your actions and your, and your thoughts um, as you're kind of doing your thing out in society. So, you know, these are things to keep in mind. Um, so thank you for tuning in. If you missed the show or missed part of it or, you know, missed the whole earlier section, you know, don't fret. It'll be on anthroalert.com uh, here in a few weeks. Uh, if you'd like to listen to any of our past episodes, you can also find those at anthroalert.com. So Emily's... Uh, her, our discussion right now will be on there. Jacqueline, she'll be on there as well. Uh, so you can also find us on Facebook, on Twitter, all the all of the social medias that we talked about before. And if you're concerned about privacy, go on that website that Renee um, suggested earlier. So with that, have a fantastic weekend and stay tuned for next week's show.